I'm Matt Downing, and welcome to Diving Deep EDU. Curious conversations with all types of peeps. Encouraging innovation, we are diving deep. Certainly education is what we like to speak. Fervent with dedication, now it is time to teach. Thanks for tuning in. We are doing a mini quick hitting series on hybrid learning. It's a hot topic these days and something many people are reflecting upon and gearing up for in the next school year. Our guest today is Dr. Scott McLeod. Scott was a former guest on Diving Deep EDU. So go back, check out episode number 12, hear our conversation. It was great. Scott is an associate professor of educational leadership at the University of Colorado, Denver. He started off as a middle school socialized teacher before earning his JD and PhD. Scott is a leading expert in K-12 technology leadership issues. He shares his work through his wonderful website. Check it out, dangerouslyirrelevant.org. I'll put a link in the show notes, his blog, presentations, books, and countless articles. Scott, thank you so much for joining me again. I want to start off this conversation by getting your thoughts on this. If you had to describe a shape, to technology, what would that shape be? <laughs> it would be a really long, twisty line with lots of branches that connected others to it. <laughs> I love it. I can picture it in my head right now. Why? Uh, give us some, some background to that. Why? Yeah, I think the power of technology for most of us has been the power of connection, right? Mm. So on our end, it's a single line going out into the world and then it branches off and curls around and goes to lots of different places around the globe, right? Where we're finding mm. interesting people to learn from and with. I love that. I love that connection piece that you just highlighted. I, I wasn't thinking about that. And as we think about hybrid learning, as we reflect, a lot's happened, right? And the, there's a lot of even de different definitions for hybrid learning. But what are some of your big takeaways? Um, I think for me, what we saw over the last year and a half has been really rough in a lot of mm -hmm. places, even in the ones that did their very best to be thoughtful about it. Yeah. You know, when the pandemic hit most schools in the spring of 2020, it was sort of an emergency situation and we just mm -hmm. kind of scrambled. Um, many of the schools, at least in the Northern hemisphere had the summer to then sort of regroup. Yeah. Many of them didn't take full advantage of that opportunity to really be thoughtful about what would be next. I think there was a lot of wishful thinking about yeah. returning back to school in person rather than planning for effective hybrid teaching and learning. Mm -hmm. So what happened is we sort of had a reenactment of the emergency scenario, emergency scenario as we got closer to the new school year because that wishful thinking didn't pan out and all of a sudden people realized that we were not going to just all come back to school in person. Yeah. And Although we made some progress based on what we had done the previous spring, we still saw a lot of, I think, ineffectual hybrid learning models. And I think the one that most people have struggled with is what I think the experts term high flex learning, which yeah. is where we're asking teachers to have both in-person students and at-home person students simultaneously. Yeah. And that's been really, really rough on classroom educators. We've seen a lot of burnout happening because mm -hmm. that was the model that was selected. 
So let's let's talk about high flex. Well, first, I want to talk about the wishful thinking. I remember you publishing an article or it was a blog post way back when talking about that. Like, let's not, you know, think wishfully for the future. Let's plan. Let's make an action. Let's try to do something different. This is our time right now to do that. And and like you said, uh, you know, people sort of stayed in that wishful thinking. Um, Why do you think that was? Why do you think that is? I think it was some combination of political pressure Mm -hmm. um, along with. Uh, political pressure from the community, right? Okay. About getting kids back, as, yeah. um, along with just a very natural desire to return back to normal, have kids in person. You know, most of us went into education to be with young people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anything we could do to try and make that happen. Uh, zeroing in on the high flex model. And that's what a lot of districts are using around uh, where I'm at on the East Coast in Philadelphia. So it's a very difficult model. Let's zero in first on some of the successes we've seen, and then we can sort of navigate through some of the struggles and sort of pinpointing exactly what you said, too. There's a lot of burnout right now. There's a lot of people, you know, jumping ship because they're really having to do two things at the same time. But let's talk about some things that have gone well first. What's some examples of this high flex that you've seen and you're like, yes, yes, I I like that. They're doing a great job with that. I think the ones that did it best and, you know, you sort of mentioned my trying to encourage people to be proactive the previous mm-hmm. summer. Yeah. The ones that did it best were the ones that actually designed everything for online. So, okay. you know, the default modality was online in terms of, you know, curricular conversations, um, content access and discussions and so on. And then if you were lucky enough to have kids in your room, um, they were still working off the online content rather than expecting gotcha. you to teach in a more traditional live manner. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, while you had them with you, you were working on relationships, checking in on social emotional wellness and things like that. But, you know, that was sort of the modality that seemed to work best, I think, in the high flex environment, because then both the face to face students and the online students were still doing the same academic work. And we weren't asking the teacher to design two separate learning programs or to try and somehow get the people online to hear and interact with the folks that were face to face, which was, I think, where the tough part came. Yeah, I've been speaking to a number of schools and they're doing the exact opposite of what you just said. So the people in the class, they're saying, you know, they have this high flex model, right? But the people in the class, they're saying, you're not allowed to have your computer on. We want you interacting in an in-person way for one reason or another, right? And so they actually can't see the kids on the Zoom or on the Google Meet. Um, And so they're interacting with the teacher in one way. And then the teacher is then interacting with the kids at home um, in Zoom or Google Meet in another way. And they're sort of having to manage these these two different uh, classrooms and these learning experiences. Uh, What would you say to those district leaders? Yeah. And and they're trying to do that simultaneously. Right. And so, yes, it's sort of dismaying to hear the exact same people talk about digital distraction and how kids can't multitask and then Mm. they turn around and ask their educators to do exactly that right to pay attention to the rumors and the zoomers um (laughs) in a way that just hasn't been very productive and i think Mm. although there are some incredible educators out there who somehow pulled it off most of them were really tired um Mm. and found that to be near impossible so i think 
you know, what do I say to the school leaders that implemented yeah. those models is that, you know, we could have been much more thoughtful going into those. And I'm not sure that we really did a great job of getting feedback from our practicing educators about how that was working once it started, because we surely didn't adjust even after we started hearing all these tales of burnout everywhere. Yeah, great points and great motivating words too. Yeah, the, listening to the practitioners that are that are dealing with this and getting feedback and iterating and changing and experimenting and see what will work and learning from from other places that will work as well. Thanks for that insight. Uh, you've mentioned some some different things that are that are a struggle in this model within the high flex or within the hybrid or blended. There's so many different terminologies. What what are some other struggles that that people are facing uh, or that they have faced over the past year and a half? I think the uncertainty has been emotionally draining hmm. um, for most educators, um, and I include both teachers and administrators in that. You know, most school systems have been the victims of. Yeah. Um, you know, sort of the spinning weather vane of political decisions above them, yeah. Yeah. right? M made by the district, made mm -hmm. by local officials, made by state people um, who are making decisions not based on what's best for education or for health, but really rather on sort of the political winds that are blowing at a particular moment. Um, and so it's been very hard to find stability over the last year yeah. in terms of decision-making and planning and you know teaching and so on because you never know what's going to happen with the local community opinion what the governor's mm -hmm. going to do you know yeah. whatever um so i think that's been really hard because mm -hmm. you know educators are pretty adaptive but it is nice to have at least a little bit of stability under your feet rather than always just be shifting sand because it makes it really hard to plan accordingly yeah, so let's think forward, right? You're you're going to write another article, you know, similar it's been about a year since you wrote that other article, you know, encouraging people to look forward. So let's let's look forward again, you know, and and hopefully this time it will look, you know, continue to grow and look a little bit different. What do you envision for this hybrid learning model? What do you envision that things could get better? Like what's your hope uh for the future as as we progress and as we move forward? Yeah, I I hope we do some of what we should have done in the first place. And I think yeah. some places are learning from this. You know, before the pandemic, I think when people thought about hybrid learning, what they thought of was you could either have the face-to-face -face option mm -hmm. or you could have some kind of asynchronous, self-paced version where you didn't interact with your teacher much. And we might have even purchased the curriculum from one of these national companies yeah. like K12.com uh -huh. or whatever, right? Um, and so... Although some students really wanted that online version, the fact that it was asynchronous and relatively non-interactive with other kids and the teacher was not really a high selling point other than for those families who really needed it. Mm. But I think we discovered a third option, which is online, but interactive and synchronous, right? Mm. Um, and so a lot of districts are realizing that there's a demand for that yep. if it's done better. So I think what we're going to see this fall, we're going to see a number of districts implement sort of, you can come back face to face, you can still have that online asynchronous self-paced option if you want, but we're also going to provide some online synchronous options, right? Yeah. Kind of like the way yeah. we've done remote learning for the past year and a half or so. Um, and you're going to have a live teacher, they're going to interact with you, whatever, yeah. and, and there's some advantages to that model for, for some families and kids. Um, but what we're not going to do is we're not going to ask those synchronous, interactive online educators to also be paying attention to people 
in their room, <laughs> right? Mm, yeah. Like yeah. they just be able to just dedicate their attention to the people who are in the online mm. synchronous space. And that's what we should have done in the first place, right? Yeah. So in any school that had multiple sections of um, great uh, classes within a grade level, right? So maybe your elementary school had three or four teachers teaching in the third grade, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. We should have designated one, two, three of them as fully remote teachers yep. who only did remote, synchronous, whatever. And if some kids were coming face-to-face, -face, one teacher just had the face-to-face -face kids mm -hmm. <laughs> and nobody had to split their attention across the two spaces. Yeah. Um, and if you were in a small school and you only had one section per grade, then we could have done some kind of looping arrangement where instead of me teaching second and you teaching third and we split our attention across the online and the face-to-face -face kids, I teach a blended second, third class. You Love also it. teach a blended second, third class, yeah. but you're online and I'm face-to-face, -face, right? Like we could have done that yeah. yes. for most classes and we could have given the kids the sort of attention that they deserved rather than asking educators to split their attention and burn out. So I'm, I'm hoping that more districts will implement those models coming up because I think it's it's much more doable for the educators and it'll mm -hmm. also be more palatable for the kids and the families. You mentioned at the start that within the live um, version, you know, online live version, that there could be increased interaction. Uh, how would educators go about doing that? What have you seen that has brought success uh, where the educators interacting well with the online kids at home in a live environment? I think a couple things. I think one is... Um, finding things that kids are interested in helps drive online conversations yeah. <laughs> rather than trying to force kids who at home to do uninteresting work when they have a greater ability <laughs> to say no. Um, right. Like some of the districts that I've been talking with, you know, they're trying to have more student agency in their learning. And mm. I said, well, you're getting some agency in these remote settings because at home they have the agency to say no in a different <laughs> way than they do at school. Right. Um, so I think finding more interesting ways to cover curriculum, finding creative ways to tap into the assets mm -hmm. of home-based learning environments. Uh, small group interactions are key when you're doing yeah. online synchronous, of course. So making really great use of your breakout groups um, mm -hmm. so that kids can dialogue with each other in productive ways around you know, smaller tasks within the class or within projects and so on um, have been pretty important. So I think those are some key strategies to keep kids engaged as we go along. And in the future, since most kids will be opting into that environment, it's not like they'll be forced into it. They'll, mm. they'll have made Good the choice point. and thus have some greater investment from the beginning. Scott, I'm a big fan of your four big shifts protocol. I've referenced them in my doctoral research and my dissertation. How do we apply the four big shifts protocol to a hybrid learning environment? Thanks, Matt. That's a great question. Um, you know, the questions in the four shifts protocol are designed to work for any kind of learning environment, whether it's face-to-face, -face, fully online, blended, hybrid, high flex, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's just mostly you would be asking those questions at the design stage. I'm, I'm yeah. going to work on this unit coming up with kids, or I've got an instructional activity planned for the next couple of days that's hybrid, whatever. And if I want kids to have agency within that space, for example, if I want deeper learning to have within the space, then I got to design for that. And then the questions in the protocol are really intended to help educators think 
in some concrete specific ways about what are those look for's and think abouts as I design that experience for my students. Scott, I noticed you have some different things going on with the four shifts protocol. You know, you're a little bit too humble to sort of advocate for it on your own, but uh, you have some different things going on this summer. Uh, promote it a bit for us right now, and I'll link it in the show notes as well. Oh, wow. Um, working with a number of school districts um, around the protocol as we emerge out of the pandemic and try to keep our innovation work moving forward. Um, it's been great. Um, I'm offering a very inexpensive yeah. training option that will get educators up and running with the protocol for up to 200 people yep. um, for two hours. And there's a link to that on my blog. And we've got a new book coming out in late July called Leadership for Deeper Learning, where we look at the leadership side mm. of the four shifts um, and what do principals in innovative schools do that's differently from principals in more traditional schools. And I'm really excited about that book. It's very concrete and specific and has lots of key leadership behaviors and support structures. And then the book is called Leadership for Deeper Learning, and uh, it's pretty awesome. Great. Yeah, I'm excited to, to read that as well. And one other thing that I appreciate, but the way that you approach the uh, four shifts protocol and bringing it out to districts, it's it sort of highlighted the way you're engaging the online environment. You took a situation, okay, it's a little bit different out here right now. How can I interact with people? How can I serve people in a unique way? How can I leverage technology to get out to the most people at maybe the most affordable rate for them and sort of do something transformative? And as I was looking at what you had going on, that sort of came to the surface for me. And I'm like, that's what we should be doing with our online environment as well, rather than trying to sort of force something into it sort of look at what we have. How can we leverage things? How can we move things around? How can we take some advantages and use them uh, to our benefit? So I really appreciate that. And I hope people check it out. All right, Scott, close us out with some tips or final thoughts in regards to hybrid learning. Pay attention to access and equity. Those issues are still out there um, is my first statement. I guess my other thing yeah. I would say is now that you have technology in the hands of kids, and they're sort of used to using it, it's time for us to move beyond digital worksheets and the protocol mm -hmm. can help. Yep. Scott, thank you so much for joining me again on Diving Deep EDU. This was a fast-paced and helpful conversation. Thank you so much for all of your insights. To our listeners, thank you for tuning in. Don't forget, go back, listen to episode number 12. That was our previous conversation. If you like this episode, subscribe, share it out, and leave a review. All of those things will help get this podcast out to more people. Until next time. Wow, it's time to reflect. That's astounding. You've been checking out the podcast from Matthew Downing. Hope you like diving deep like a scuba diver. And the show provoked hope. That's our true desire.